Hi, this is John. And today on Theocast, Justin and I interview a special guest on the covenant of works and why it is so important. We argue from the Bible that the covenant of works can be found in the text, and it's vitally important to our understanding of the gospel, specifically Christ's righteousness for us. It's a fun conversation. It's a lively one. And this is part one of a two-part episode that we do with Pat Abendroth. Stay tuned. A simple and easy way for you to help support Theocast each month is by shopping at Amazon through the Amazon Smile program. When you make a purchase through Amazon Smile, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to our ministry. To learn how to sign up, just go to theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about Christian life from a Reformed and pastoral perspective. If you curse about what this podcast is about, we're trying to clarify the gospel and reclaim the purpose of the kingdom. And your hosts today are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And today is a two-parter with a dear friend of ours, and probably most of you are aware of the Pactum. I always laugh how you say that, the Pactum. On the (laughs) Pactum. (laughs) <laughs> the pactum verse i i'm actually a listener i i promote listening to Same. the pactum i'm thankful and you're you guys are both card carrying members of the pactum we are card i just I, want, want to know when i'm going to get my hat that's that's, that's what good I that's good i don't always <laughs> listen to podcasts but when i do oh <laughs> yeah there you go it I, often I is the pact a secret Theocast tattoo. Nobody can know about it, though. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Hopefully it's not the old logo. <laughs> we we haven't even said this gentleman's name yet. Yes. Uh, with us today is none other than, for those of you that know the Pactum, you did not hear Mike's voice. You heard Pat Abendroth's voice. That's right. And so it's good to have Pat with us. Pat is the pastor of Omaha Bible Church. He's been there since 1998. And uh, has five children. Has been married, as we just learned right now, 32 years. Is that correct? This is true. It's a great blessing in my life. Yep. Yeah. So, and I've known of Pat for Mrs. Pat, Mr. Pat Pactum. You see, I've known of the Abend Ross for probably 15 years. And then Mike and I, or sorry, Pat and I met, I think you did a men's retreat. It was the first time I met you about 10 years ago. Okay. That's probably true. In Nashville. Yep. And you came out and you were talking about, uh, what is the gospel? I remember. I remember specifically. Seriously. Yeah, I do. I remember you were talking about the law. The Ten Commandments is not the gospel. It was really good. Yeah. Okay. How about that? Good. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't want to claim a lot of old things I've said before, but I yeah. we had already that started. That sounds like but, a good one. I can't say journey on the Pactum, but I can say it on Theocast. So I've already started my journey. <laughs> journey. <laughs> <laughs> And, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and announce this now. It's fun. Um, Justin and I are going to be traveling to San Diego, and uh, we're going to have the opportunity to do a podcast with Mike and Pat from NoCo Radio. And so we're going to have a big, I know Mike's been trying to come up with names about how to combine all three podcasts, and none of them have sound good. So <laughs> You're exactly right. Yep. yep. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, um, if you haven't checked out uh, the Pactum, please do so. And um, we would encourage you. Now, Pat, you have, uh, you've written, did you, was it your dissertation or did you actually have a book on covenant theology? No, it's the dissertation and uh, okay. it's still free on the Omaha Bible Church website, but it will be in book form anytime now. So make sure you really free. 
Otherwise, you're going to have to buy it on Amazon. <laughs> there you go. Good. Oh, I've read it. What, it's great. What will be the title, Pat? Uh, I think it's just going to be called Covenant Theology. Okay. Yep. Just mm. going to be super simple and basic. I just saw the artwork for the cover, and uh, it's looking good. So excited Wait a minute. You mean we're going to have a Baptist version of Covenant Theology available here I'm, soon? I'm excited. Come well, on, son. Some people <laughs> say I'm a closet Presbyterian, but anyway. Oh, we get that all the time. Right. Yeah, so, it's so funny. Yeah, I basically I basically wrote it to try to show that you can believe in covenant theology and have whatever millennial view you'd like, and you can whatever rapture view you'd like because it's not really about that. It's about Mm-mm. soteriology mm-hmm. first and foremost. So that's right. Anyway, amen. No, amen. Along those lines, Along covenant those theology lines. being about soteriology. How about that? Hmm. We're going to talk today since we have a man literally who has written a book on the topic. We're going to talk some covenant theology today. And you and did your so doctorate the, work on covenant of works, right? Right. Yep. Right. Covenant so in the first of so two covenant episodes, of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So while we're here, 30,000 foot view, the three major covenants revealed in the scripture, the covenant of redemption, the pactum salutis, right? Amen. Made an eternity past between most pointedly the father and the son concerning the redemption of a people that would be redeemed through the work of the son and the son would inherit them. And those people would live with him in a redeemed earth and new heavens and a new earth forever. Then we have the covenant of works that God made with Adam in the garden of Eden. And we're going to talk more pointedly about that one today. And then the covenant of grace uh, promised in Genesis 3.15 and revealed progressively throughout the rest of scripture established in the coming of Christ in the new covenant. So yeah, we're talking covenant theology today with a man who has written a volume on the topic. We're going to talk today most pointedly about the covenant of works that God made with Adam. And this first of two episodes is going to be effectively answering the question, is the covenant of works in the Bible? Is this a legitimate category? Because this is an objection raised by many people, at least it has been in, in my experience, when we start to talk in these terms about a covenant of works or a covenant period made with Adam in which he represented the entire human race, in which God gave him not only his moral law, but then positive commands in addition that needed to be obeyed for eternal life, that the possibility of eternal life stood before Adam to be earned for himself and his posterity. And obviously he faced the sanctions of this covenant, should he break it. That whole idea of a covenant being made with Adam is objected to by many because the word covenant doesn't occur in the first couple of chapters of the scripture. In Genesis 2 in particular, that language of covenant does not show up. And so people will rightly say, are we inserting categories into the scriptures that aren't there? And are we trying to force the Bible into our nice systematic theological categories? So I think it's a good thing for us to start here. And then in the second of two episodes, we hope to be able to answer some some questions or think together about implications of the covenant of works. Like if this is a covenant made with Adam in the garden, how does this matter for us now living in the 21st century under the new covenant? And what, what significance is there to denying or affirming a covenant of works, even as we think about the work of Christ for us? So that's episode two. But you need to listen to episode one to understand episode two. <laughs> At least I hope that's plain. So we're off and running here. Pat, I'm going to throw it to you, man, our resident okay. expert on covenant theology. Okay. So how would you begin to answer that question? Is the covenant of works in the Bible? Maybe what is the covenant of works and is it in the Bible? Sure. Those are well, two big ones. Justin, you've done such a good job articulating covenant theology. I was ready for like the altar call and I was ready to <laughs> hey, bro, forward. We're all for that. So I, I'm not sure why I'm on the episode. The bustles today. I'm await. Just feeling all warm yeah. inside on the We'll play 42 day. stanzas. <laughs> the buses await. 
That's right. right. And come to the altar where you're sacrificing what? I don't know, given that that's an old covenant category, but there we go. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Yeah. Right? Oh, man. Pat, come forward, put your stick in the fire, man, and tell us about covenant theology. You know, when you were, when you were speaking, Justin, I I was thinking, that's right. The the common objection is, oh yes, it's in the white spaces. It's not really there. And Mm. it sounds like maybe a slam dunk argument at first, but then you pose questions to people who say such things and you say, well, um, is the word sin isn't used in the early chapters of Genesis either. Mm. Obviously sin is there. And then Mm. all of a sudden you can almost see the wheels turning in their minds (laughs) because Mm. they are like, oh, that's right. And the word and Trinity that, isn't there, but in the triune God all. is there. Yeah. Second yeah. Samuel chapter seven, Davidic covenant, uh, doesn't say covenant, but that's the mm-hmm. text we always go to because there's a sure. covenant there. And mm-hmm. so and everyone kind of accepts word, that covenant too. Right. Kind of a word study fallacy maybe is what we yeah. would call that. Or mm-hmm. Word concept fallacy, word study fallacy. Exactly. That's yep. right. That's right. So, and, what, I, and that means briefly for people that the idea there is that if, if a word is not present, then the concept is not present. And we would say, well, no, that's not exactly true. The word covenant may not be there, but the concept definitely is there right. when we take the scripture on its own terms. Right. And, and if we start by saying, okay, what is, even, what is even, what is a covenant? And a covenant is a formal agreement. And by agreement, we don't mean it has to be between equal parties. Um, mm-hmm. You know, God is obviously the creator of the authority, but it's a binding relationship. It's, a, it's not a casual relationship between Adam and God. It's a formal relationship, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like a marriage is a covenant. The Bible calls marriage a covenant. It's, I don't have a casual relationship with my wife. Uh, <laughs> it might be uh, romantic, but it's also legally binding. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, so it's this formal agreement between Adam and God where, whereby Adam was to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't free to do whatever he wanted to do. And even that's built in the fact that he's a created being. Yeah. Uh, he's obligated to do certain things and those certain things are whatever God says. So I would say even, right. even by the fact that it's a creator creature relationship, it's formal and binding. Uh, he's not a, a free agent to do whatever he wants to do. So it's already yeah. looking like a covenant, even though we haven't even gotten into the text yet. Well, in Genesis chapter two, if I may insert here, talking about the text a little bit, and this is before verse 17, like just leading up to Genesis right. two seventeen. So you, like you said, God made man in his own image. And then in Genesis two, seven and eight, it's very interesting. The language, you know, we're talking to serious minded evangelicals here, people who care about the words on the page. So let's right. talk about those for a minute. In Genesis 2, 7 and 8, we read this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So in other words, Adam is formed, then Eden was prepared, and then Adam was put there. Like that in and of itself is significant because it, it's an intentional thing that God is doing with him. I know I sort of grew up thinking that Adam was made in Eden. And in reality, Adam is formed. And then the Lord plants a garden and puts Adam there for a particular purpose. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Yeah. That's a big, a big deal. deal. You know, it's also, it's also a big deal, even to think in terms of the Pentateuch. And uh, mm-hmm. when you, this is kind of fun to talk about covenant theology in the Bible, and we haven't even really gotten to the verses yet. But uh, (laughs) taking a little bit different tact, if you think about, you know, who wrote the Pentateuch and uh, as Bible-believing conservative evangelicals, Reformed Christians, we would say, well, that was Moses. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't Adam. 
mm-hmm. and it all came together. It's it's all comes as one volume, if That's you right. will, or multiple multiple uh, books in in the in the library, if you will. And no no Israelite would have read Genesis without thinking in light of the whole Pentateuch. And sure. so if you if you read the whole, you're like, oh, this is a this is a covenantal document. This is the covenantal God. There's no question right. about that. So it's a mistake to read Genesis one to three in isolation from the first five books. They, they're mm-hmm. meant to go together, and so we're already thinking in covenantal kinds of terms. Yeah, uh, before we get to the text. And well, just to interject ahead, there, John. even yeah. you know, I think I forget what book I read this in, but I've, it's been a helpful perspective for years now that we read Genesis from the it's the prologue to Exodus, really. Like mm-hmm. the the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt before Genesis, it was actually written. And so mm-hmm. God makes a covenant with them. And, yes. and then Moses goes, by the way, you probably need to know how this all got started. So mm-hmm. he backs up and he mm-hmm. says, let's start from the beginning. And mm-hmm. so they are already aware of covenantal language and covenant theology because they had entered into a covenant with God after Egypt. And so exactly. I love, that's a great perspective. And I think that's yeah. a great observation is that even like when we talk about authorial intent or we talk about, mm-hmm. you know, what I, I think it's safe to say Moses, the author who uh, received the covenant in Exodus, authorial mm-hmm. intent would mean he's writing from that perspective when he starts in Genesis. Yeah. 100%. Right. Right. Well, and, and then it's, it's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Yeah. Well, that, that's covenantal in and of itself. Mm. Yeah. And then just one other brief observation leading to Genesis two seventeen. immediately after reading about how God, he makes man, then he plants a garden. He puts Adam in the garden. Immediately, we, we read about these two trees that are there. Mm-hmm. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're going to talk about that, I'm sure, at some point, how that's not insignificant. Because one of the objections raised against this covenant of works as well, not so much on the sanction penalty side, that in the day you eat of this, you'll surely die. Mm-hmm. But there is an objection against the, the idea that eternal life is held out to Adam if he obeys. And that tree of life piece is going to be significant there. But I may be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> okay. Pat, okay. continue so on, I, man. When I'm speaking with someone who is more of what I would call a biblicist, they want to actually see the word in the text. Mm-hmm. I think the, the low-lying yeah. fruit for us is Hosea 6, 7. Because yeah. it's pretty straightforward. In Hosea mm-hmm. 6, 7, it says, but like Adam, mm-hmm. they transgressed the covenant. Mm-hmm. There they dealt faithlessly. Yeah with me. So mm. uh, yep. that, that's, that's a great one to go to. And I think sometimes we shy away from it because we know that sometimes people say, well, that's not Adam. Uh, that's a, uh, it's not the Adam of the garden. It's a, it's a place and all this sort of thing. And I think that's kind of a, a lame move because that's borrowing yeah. from the theological liberals because mm. the people who don't like a historical Adam say that kind of stuff. That's right. That's true. So well, th- yeah. those of us who believe the Bible is true in a, in a historical Adam, I think we should reclaim the legitimacy of Hosea 6, 7. Adam, yes, he transgressed the covenant. And uh, yeah. I guess we could end the episode because there it is. Yeah. Bike drop. So, all right, Pat, how about that? Let's, let's pivot slightly and talk about Adam and how he functioned okay. with respect to the entire human race in the garden. Yes. In, in other words, did he represent us all? And if so, what does that mean for us? Right. What does that mean he, regarding this covenant? Yes, indeed, he did represent us all. And we know this not just from theologizing. Uh, we know it mm-hmm. in light of Romans chapter 5. five yes. Romans 5, 18 and 19 are crucial to this whole, mm-hmm. to this whole matter. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and read that so people yeah, please do, please. can hear it. It says in Romans 5.18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, this is really what we want to focus on right now, at least Mm -hmm. one man's disobedience, the many, so he's representing the many Mm -hmm. were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So all that legal terminology before God and the, the, the court of God, if you will, Adam represented the entire human race and mm-hmm. he, it says, disobeyed. So through his one act of disobedience, it led to condemnation, opposite of justification. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so indeed, what Adam did affected himself, but also it also affected the entire human race. Mm-hmm. And so he, as you said, I think earlier, Justin, uh, him and his posterity, uh, to use yeah. the, the old English. So that's why we're in the mess that we're in. That's why we're under condemnation. It's why we need justification by faith in the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what he did affected himself and it affected everyone else. Mm-hmm. So that's why we call it a covenant of works as well. He was obligated. He had to do mm-hmm. the right thing. He didn't do the right thing. He didn't lead the human race into justification. He led us into condemnation. It's the bad news. He's our federal head. Sometimes covenant theology is called federal theology because mm-hmm. uh, of the Latin word just means covenant, which mm-hmm. makes me smile when I hear people say, I, I don't believe in covenant theology. I believe in federal headship <laughs> 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 because it's like saying, I don't like oranges, but I like oranges. Exactly. So, I don't like oranges, but I like tangerines. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. So no, that's good, man. And, and maybe sometimes when you're trying to not, you know, freak people out who are, who are nervous about covenant theology, you say, well, yes, I, I'm promoting federal headship. Oh, okay. Exactly. That's good. Okay. Exactly. Well, yeah. we're just saying covenant headship is what we're talking about. So if you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. The Romans 5 piece, like you said, it, the value of that cannot be overstated. Because mm-hmm. what Paul is establishing there in Romans five twelve to 21, most pointedly, is the legitimacy of representation. I mean, really, I mean, that we were, that we were represented by Adam in the garden is very clear. I mean, and thereby to be represented by Christ is legitimate. That's right. Right. And so that relationship of one to the many is stated over and over again in Romans five. Right. And that's what we're contending for is that it being in Adam, this is true for us. And then being united to Christ, being in Christ, this becomes true uh, for us. Absolutely. And then when we start now, all of a sudden, when we're off and running and we're looking at other texts and we hear from Jesus and we hear from the Apostle Paul elsewhere, he keeps going back. They they keep going back to this. This is a reality Mm -hmm. that is significant and important. In one sense, it's the most important reality because we need someone to obey for us. And that would be none other than Jesus. Uh, That's why we have justification. And so we're already getting getting into why this is so important. And so when we hear Jesus speak... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that if, if you feel lost or like you're not sure about the legitimacy of this conversation, here it is right here. So pay close attention because he's coming to the application of the gospel. So go for it. 
<laughs> right. Well, and when it comes to even significance, and I know we're not really getting into that right now, but even right. the practical importance of all of this, maybe later in the episode or the next episode, we can talk about Romans uh, 5, 1 to 11. Uh, yes. There's the practical importance of all of yeah. this. But right now we're just focusing, focusing on the doctrine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When we hear right, from so- Jesus and Jesus saying things like, uh, do this and you will live mm-hmm. in Luke chapter 10, verse 28. That's covenant of works talk. That's right. Uh, yeah. he's, Jesus is asked, what should we do to gain eternal life? And the, as the discussion goes in Luke chapter 10, it's love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and Jesus affirms that answer. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this yep. and you will live and make sure, uh, you know, dear listeners, that you don't think you you will live means you'll have a happy life. The question <laughs> was about what should we do to gain eternal life? Eternal right. life. Entrance yeah, into the Jesus kingdom. Jesus basically says, do the covenant of works, mm-hmm. <laughs> which they can't do because they're in Adam. But, but right. in effect, the principle is still there. So right. Jesus also affirmed the covenant of works. He didn't use that language, just as Paul didn't use that that exact label, but it's Mm -hmm. for sure in Luke chapter 10, verse 28, when he says, do this and you will live, uh, that that's covenant of works talk without question. It is right. Yeah. And I would just add to that, your point of do this and live. So I, what I love about Romans is he says, um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right. We don't stop and ask ourselves, why does Paul use that language? Glory of God. Right. It's important because if we fell short of God's glory, it's not we just missed the mark. The, the point of it is, if we would have done something, not sin, mm-hmm. then right. we would have gained the glory of mm-hmm. God. And what exactly. I think he means by that is that being in the presence of God and his glory without sin perpetually forever. So if Adam would have obeyed, he would have yep. entered into the glory of God. Super, this is Hebrews yeah. 2.10, right? Yep. Bringing exactly. many sons to glory. To glory. <laughs> right? Yep. So if you want to reject the concept of a covenant of works and you want to come up with another title, that's fine. But you can't reject the theology because mm-hmm. it's there. Yes, absolutely. Now, uh, and I have some sympathy with people because uh, when they hear covenant of works and they're not used to theological language, mm-hmm. they think, oh, it can't be works because Ephesians 2 says it's by grace through faith, not mm-hmm. by works. And and I understand the knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. But in right. reality, um, Somebody has to do the work. Somebody has to do the obeying for us to be saved. And we would say Jesus does the obeying for us to be saved. But it's not like salvation is by nothing. Um, It's actually by his obedience, his atoning sacrifice. So I I am sympathetic because when people first hear it, they're like, wait a second, that can't be true. Right. Right. (laughs) And in the, go ahead. Yeah, then you have to remind people, Jesus didn't just show up and, you know, sit there. Jesus no. obeyed and Jesus he did. fulfilled all righteousness and Jesus died on the cross and Jesus was raised from the dead and Jesus ascended. And those are things to be done. He did the things. <laughs> he did the works. And That's then right. you can That's see right. people kind of, you know, put their shoulders down and go, okay, I get it. I understand. Right. That. And what you're talking about there is effectively the covenant of grace where God, the son took on flesh, fulfilled all the requirements of the law fulfilled its punishment, right? And conquered death and conquered the one who has the power of death, ascended to the right hand of God, the father, and he's coming back. All of that, he did this. And then in the covenant of grace, what he did is given to sin sick wretches like us. Mm. And we receive it by faith. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Absolutely. The obligation of the covenant. And it comes to us freely. And we we use the label covenant of grace because it makes a lot of sense because it comes to us freely. So the covenant of works is called the covenant of works because this covenant, enjoying the covenant blessing, 
was contingent upon Adam's obedience. Yes. So it was contingent upon his works as to whether he would enjoy the blessing or no. Absolutely. Absolutely. A few, a few other things we could talk through as we're just, we're trying to flesh out the covenant of works and its legitimacy for people. Pat, would love to hear you speak on this and we can interact over this. What exactly did God obligate Adam to obey in the garden? If that's a fair question. Well, if we really want to make it simple, and maybe this right. isn't where you're going yet, but well, to, it's okay. be, to be super simple, Adam needed to treat God like God is God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So That's Adam good. needed to act like someone great made place in God's start. image, who's a creature. And so by obligation, even if it's not stated, he needed to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength because there's only one God. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. And so exactly. that's what he was obligated to do. And he was obligated to love other image bearers, uh, his wife in that particular case, uh, as mm-hmm. himself. So though so, it's not so, stated, that's what God's law requires. And so, so you just said it, a, a piece of the covenant of works is the moral law of God. Yes. It, yes. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, which summarizes the 10 commandments. Yes. Right? So that's a piece of what Adam was to obey. In addition, we know that that God did give Adam some other, what we might call positive laws. And by positive laws, we just mean things that are not inherently moral or immoral, but the word of God makes them so. So when he says, most pointedly, the sanction that he, that he puts forward, you're not to eat of this tree. Well, in, eating fruit from a tree is not inherently wicked, but right. when God's word is attached to it, it becomes sin. It becomes immoral because you have now transgressed the word of God. And so the moral law of God combined with those positive laws, those additional commands, would constitute the terms of the covenant of works, what Adam was obligated to obey. Fair? Excellent. Yep. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. And maybe maybe before we move past this, we could look at some other passages and just, I'm still burdened for people to make sure that they see it in the Bible for themselves. Yes. That we're setting out to do. So I would remind people to even stick to Romans, um, Mm. not just Romans 5, but Romans 10 and Romans 2. Mm. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing again and again. And for us to see the the legitimacy of Jesus and his work, we have to understand this covenant of works idea. Romans Mm. 10, 5 says, the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Mm-hmm. It's the it's mm-hmm. the do this and live thing, and that's maybe right. at first when you read Romans ten five, you might think, I don't know if that's talking about covenant of works, and mm-hmm. then you think, then you look a little closer, and even in the margin of your Bible, it'll say, oh, this is Leviticus eighteen five, oh, do this and live, Leviticus eighteen five. Yeah. Well, we know what that means because we have an inspired interpretation of it because Jesus in Luke ten twenty eight, we just looked at it, is quoting Leviticus eighteen five, and he says it's about eternal life. So uh, I don't let the commentaries confuse me, is what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, and that's I good, know man. what Romans 10.5 is about because yeah. it's Levit- Leviticus 18.5. And I know what that's about because Jesus has a commentary on Leviticus 18.5. It's in Luke 10.28. And I'm mm-hmm. not trying to play, you know, a weird card game and trick people here, uh, but allowing scripture to interpret scripture. And I think Jesus it's knows a good what he's talking about. Yes, we're talking about do this and live as in you gain eternal life. Mm-hmm. And it, when you read Romans 10 in that light, it all makes sense. And you're yeah. like, Oh, the Jews, they, they, they didn't obey. They didn't see God's law for the daunting law that it is. Mm-hmm. So they made up their own laws that they could keep. Mm-hmm. And so they never saw their need for Jesus mm-hmm. righteousness provided. Exactly. And so 
if you do allow God's law to be the daunting law that it is that says do this and live as in Mm -hmm. perfectly, personally, and perpetually, you're going to say, I can't do it. I'm undone. Woe is me. I'm damned. And that's exactly where we want people to be. So -hmm. they say, I need righteousness. I don't have it. I look outside Mm -hmm. of myself. It's provided for me. That's what Romans 10 is about. And it's the Mm -hmm. aha moment. You're like, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to my dispensational friends who reject this concept, I said, you do believe in the title that is given to Christ as the second Adam. And they would say, well, yes, because that's that's biblical. He's described as the second Adam. You Mm -hmm. then have to ask theologically, why does Paul use that title of Jesus? Right. Mm -hmm. He can't just be saying he's the second perfect man. There has to be a purpose for it, right? Mm-hmm. And then when Paul True. says in Philippians 3, 9, not having a righteousness of my own. I mean, this is what we're talking about is that mm-hmm. Christ's righteousness that he earned where the second Adam, well, the first Adam failed, the second Adam yep. succeeds. And Amen. that's the righteousness that is not of my own. And so for me, I think that argument of Adam, has that was the thing that kind of like tipped me over the top going, well, he has to be the second Adam for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And lots yeah, of Christians 100%. I know, I, even lots of Christians, I say, can you tell me what righteous is? What's, what's righteousness? Right. And they, they don't know. And I'm not here to scold them. I'm here yeah. to help them. That's why I'm a pastor. Right. But even pastors, you say, could you tell me what righteousness means? Well, they say holy mm-hmm. or something else. <laughs> they give you a synonym. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that's all very ambiguous is, and vague, you know. It, look it up in a dictionary. You know, I think I've looked it up in at least 10 dictionaries. <laughs> it means adherence to the law. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so oh, we 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 Christ fulfilled the law for us. He exactly. adhered to the law, and it's credited to, credited to us by faith. So yeah. even basic things like this covenant of works, it's a covenant of obedience to God's law, mm-hmm. and it's broken. So we need someone else, the last Adam, like you said, John, to obey the law so we can have righteousness. But maybe we're we're so confused about these kinds of things because we think the law is only in the Old Testament or yep. we're just talking mm-hmm. about Mosaic law, and it simply isn't true. So I, I, I love the opportunity we have to teach people basic things mm-hmm. like this yeah. because then the light bulb goes off and you can't unsee it. Mm, it's right. a great thing. So, Mike, could you connect? I'm so Mike. It's, I'm so used to talking hey, to your brother. Just listen, I've been called Mike my whole life by my parents, <laughs> by my siblings, by my friends, by my enemies. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> my brother's name is Mark. It happens to me all the time. My mom, I'm like, Mom, you're, you're talking to your oldest son right now. Um, okay, go ahead, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the There's a very important connection oh, because you said righteousness is adherence to the law. So uh-huh. can you combine for the listener real quick? Righteousness for Adam would have been adherence to the command not to eat the tree, right? So then, and fulfillment of the moral law, right? right. So yes. Jesus yes. can't fulfill that, right? Because that's that's no longer. So explain how the Mosaic law kind of is really a, it's set up to be this the the earning of. You, are you even seeing the connection I'm making? So I think he, Jesus fulfilled everything that needed to be fulfilled. So right. he was born mm-hmm. under the law, but he's born right. under the Mosaic law even. Exactly. So. Uh, he he did so in a generic sense because if you're not a Jew, you don't you're not under that obligation. But also, he was born under that system, made it all the more difficult, if you will. Also, because of all of the types and shadows, so that he would be the priest and he would be the the king and all of those things as well. But I'm not sure exactly where else you want to go with it. No, and you're answering my question. The, the point of it is, is that Adam failed to earn righteousness. 
And then mm-hmm. God promises to Eve, one is coming to succeed where you failed. And the question then yes. becomes, it can't be not eating the tree. What is that yeah. then? And then the Mosaic law becomes the thing that we can observe to go, oh, Jesus earned righteousness for us by this. Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Sorry. Absolutely. JP, I know you had something before we close it, it down. A couple of things. Yeah. I mean, even understanding how Matthew and Luke begin their accounts of Jesus and his earthly ministry are significant here. And you talk about once you see these things, you can't unsee them and the toothpaste right. is out of the tube, for example. I mean, uh-huh. Matthew 3.15, when Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist yeah. and John is objecting <laughs> to like, I don't know if, if I should be the one baptizing you and stuff. And Jesus says, no, it's appropriate that we would do this. For what reason? So that all righteousness might be fulfilled. That's significant. Then in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, we have the temptation of Christ in the wilderness and Satan is the tempter. and mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I heard that passage taught, and the way it was taught was we, like Jesus, can defeat the evil one using the Word of God. And we, I think all three, would say, okay, secondary application, fine. But the point of that text is that the new and better Adam is here, and that where the old one failed, he was tempted in a paradise with everything going for him and failed. The second Adam shows up and he's tempted in a wilderness with everything stacked against him and he succeeds. Mm. And it helps us to understand why that's even in the Bible in the first place. It and is this phenomenal. is before he even yeah. begins his it's earthly a, ministry. Amen, yeah. dude. I, it's, it's wonderful. Get you geeked up, you know? <laughs> yep. And Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. It's a sermon right, so, spoiler, though, when you tell him it's not all about you and oh, oh, overcoming oh, temptation. Not going to so write a true. book on that one. <laughs> Maybe in the in the members only portions we could talk a little bit about some of that stuff. Yeah. Last last thing really quickly, yeah. guys, if we can. I, I just want to touch on this because I would feel irresponsible if we don't. Sure. So the the promise of eternal life that's held out to Adam, should mm-hmm. he obey? We've already talked about Romans five, which I think is pivotal because we see the implication there is that had Adam succeeded, he could have earned this justification for us. Yes. Just because like he failed, we were condemned. So now we needed Christ to obey so that we might be justified. I think that right. parallel is significant. But real, really briefly on the, the tree of life, at least from, from my perspective, and I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. So the tree of life is there in the garden, and we're told about it immediately upon Adam being placed in the garden. And the tree of life shows up in, in another book of the Bible, and it, it shows up in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation 22. And in Revelation 2, 7, this is Jesus' words to the churches. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. And by that, I think we would understand, to the one who perseveres and trusts in Christ, right? Yeah. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. So that's significant, uh, which is in the paradise of God, he says. And then in Revelation 22, we get the language of the throne of God and how there's this river that flows from the throne and through the middle of the street of the city. And it says also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And then he talks of how there will no longer be pain or suffering or any of these things anymore. And how there's no night and there's no need of light or lamp or sun because the Lord God will be their light and they'll reign forever and ever. Hmm. So it's significant that where this, this tree of life is in the garden with Adam, it shows up again at the end of the story, and it's it's there where eternal life and blessedness away from the presence of sin and evil forever is is the reality. 
And so for, for me, at least, as we think about that tree, I, I would see that as a covenant symbol that's held out to Adam, where should you obey, this is what awaits you. Paradise and gained. Paradise mm-hmm. gained, exactly. Yeah. And so the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil is present, yes, and it represents the sanction and the potential penalty of breaking this covenant, whereas the tree of life represents what could be earned. And I think even at the end of Genesis 3, where 22 to 24, right, where Adam and Eve are expelled. I mean, it's very strong language. They're they're thrown out of the garden. The language is very explicit about how angels, you know, with flaming swords are put there to guard the way to the tree of life. It's very obvious that Adam no longer has access to this tree because he's broken the covenant. Mm. And now access to the tree of life is going to have to come another way. It's going to have to come by grace through the work of another, yes, through the work exactly. of Christ. Yep. Anyway, those are, I don't know if you guys track with me there. Do you think, hey, brother, you might Amen. want to pump the brakes, thoughts? <laughs> I'm in agreement, but you know, I'll let, I'll let Pat uh, disagree with you. <laughs> I'm a guest on the show, so I like the oh my guest. I'm in. Oh, I'm my in. goodness. We need no, to that was, another was a good— There that was. Well, we have okay. a lot more to say as it relates to uh, covenant theology and the covenant of works. We're going to carry that over into our next episode next week. For us, it'll be in just a few minutes. Uh, But we do a second podcast. It's a lot of fun. Uh, It's for those who are supporting Theocast uh, monthly donation, and it allows us to produce more content like this, books and all kinds of stuff. And if you'd like to participate in supporting our ministry, you can go to theocast.org. We do a second podcast every week called Simple Reformanda, which means always reforming. And we're going to have some fun time over there with Pat here in just a minute. We're going to ask him some questions about some of his favorite books and movies and music and all that good stuff. He may choose to not answer some of them, and that's fine. So, (laughs) But Pat, it's been good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us this week. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm thankful for Theocast. Yeah. If you have not checked out the Pactum, I'd encourage you to do so. You can also listen to all the Mike's sermons. And if he calls you Mike one more time, Pat, I'm man, I don't know what the Pat. deal is. Good, Good grief. Wow. Anyways, pet Mike. <laughs> we'll see you guys uh, next week. <laughs> you can listen to Mike's sermons too. They're, they're great. They're all great. No compromised radio. Go listen to all of it. We'll see you next week. <laughs>